Now, today is going to seem microscopic and unimportant. And I want to ensure you that it is really important. We see an old guy and a young kid have something in common. The both of them know God and they walk with him. They're learning God. He's showing them stuff about himself all the time. And they serve him and they obey him. And because they learn and serve God, he leads them with wisdom and blessing. Now, you know, one thing I thought about when I thought about this is midlife crisis. Does everybody know what a midlife crisis is? <laughs> and a midlife crisis happens when you realize my life is more than half over and I'm nothing what I wanted to be. And you think, I've missed it. I've truly missed it. I am going nowhere. And I haven't accomplished anything. And I've only got a little bit of time left and I have to do something desperate. And you think to yourself, how in the world could I have missed it? And it's a really frustrating feeling. But then you know, you think, I'm a kid. How am I going to find what it is I'm supposed to do? Because, you know, you can listen to midlife crisis and go, har, I'm not going there. Then you wake up and you go, midlife crisis. Before I could not spell it. Now I are one. And so it's, it's, it concerns the path of our life and where we're going. So this isn't a side issue to laugh at. It's where are we going? How do we get there? And these two people, the old guy and the young guy, they started learning God when they were kids. And they just do that for the rest of their life. They learn God and they serve God. Because they serve him, they obey him. And you think, are these guys like super children? When they take off their robe, do they have, you know, the cape and their hair goes in a squiggle? And... Super children. And they think, well... Following God, seeking God, serving God is not easy. You can't do it without God. But it is simple. It's uncomplicated. A child can do it. That's what we're going to look at this morning. And because a child can do it, that means you can do it too. Isn't that interesting? Okay, now I'm reading in 1 Samuel 16. Now the Lord said to Samuel, 
How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I've rejected him from, being, from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I've provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I named you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, do you come peacefully? And he said, peaceably, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now, Samuel is finding out something new this morning. because he finds out the Lord is done grieving. He's moving on with his plans. What a question for the Lord to ask. Well, are you still moping about Saul? What? I thought we were moping. We're grieved, right? You and me, aren't we kind of like losing it? That's kind of the way I feel about this. And I'm reading this, you know, here's Samuel going, oh, God says, what are you doing? Come on, let's go. What? And, you know, it's kind of a mess. God says, look to Saul, you're fired. And Saul doesn't make a move. He's still on the throne. So he's a, he's, He's been let go, but he's not budging. And that would be a mess, right? I mean, what do we do? This isn't supposed to happen. This is weird. But, you know, God is not depressed about obstacles, setbacks, wrong turns. Isn't that amazing? And it's because God knows what he's doing. He's not in doubt about his plans or his power, and he knows everything that's going to go wrong. So when it happens, he goes, right on time. And it doesn't stop him either because he's made all of his plans to take in account the wrong turns and the upsets. So if you knew it was all coming and it happens, you go, yeah, knew it. And now I'm going to work on something else. He's going to the next phase of his plan and he says, okay, let's go. Let's get productive here. Now, this thing that Samuel is learning right now, it's about who God is. God is not an optimist. You know what an optimist is? That's somebody who just believes that it's all going to turn out great. Somehow, I don't know, it's in the plan. Everything turns out. And you just brace yourself. This guy's an optimist. Watch out. God is not an optimist. 
He's a realist. He has no doubt about his ability to do anything. He's not hoping it's going to work out right. He's going to make it work out right because he's sovereign. Now, Samuel does have a problem here, obeying the Lord. God says, I want you to go and anoint a king. And Samuel goes, uh, you know, this is going to get back to Saul, and he's going to want to kill me, probably kill the next guy. And then God says, it's okay, bring a cow. I want you to sacrifice. I'm telling you, go sacrifice. So you're fine, and you don't have to blab to everybody what you're doing. Isn't that interesting? All Samuel has to do is do what God says, and everything's going to be okay. So God can even solve these little problems that come in the way of, how in the world am I going to obey you in this command? He says, here's how you do it. And that's not going to work every single time. If you have a problem, go get a cow. Okay, because you've got to listen to what God's saying. But Samuel is still the guy that all Israel knows about. Whenever he says something from the Lord, it always comes true. So you notice when he shows up in Bethlehem, the elders are scared to death. Even though he's retired, they go, Samuel is here. How's it going? Everything okay? Are we all right? Are we cool? He goes, it's fine. Don't worry about it. We're going to have a sacrifice. It's going to be okay. So, okay. So he makes sure that Jesse and his sons are going to be there. And then we find that God is still teaching Samuel about himself. And class is in session. So look at verse 6. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord hasn't chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. There he is keeping the sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ready with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. 
And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. So Samuel knows he's going to anoint the Lord's king from one of these sons. And he's looking at the first one, Eliab. And he must have been a good-looking guy. Firstborn, the eldest, manly, first in line for the inheritance. And the firstborn is always described, the first of my might. It was believed that you gave it your best shot in the first one. And he has seven cents here, so there's got to be the best of the best of the best, right? It probably looks like a lumberjack. I mean, it impressed Samuel, didn't it? So he's looking at him. He goes, I'd vote for him. This is a good guy. And God says, no, don't look at his appearance. Don't look at his physical stature. I have rejected him. Interesting. Now, you remember the two things about Saul that everybody reacted to when he was chosen as king, you know, by Lot. And they took the family, and then they took him, and they go, where is he? Lord, he's hiding in the baggage. Well, go get him. So, you know, they, they find him, and they say, come on out. And he comes out, and he's like, he's a head taller than everybody, and he's gorgeous. He's the most handsome guy in all Israel, and they're gobsmacked. They go, is there anybody like this guy? Wow! His physical appearance and his stature. But God says to Samuel here, you look on the outside, and that's all you can do. But I look on the heart. And that's why I say he is not the one. You know, we look at somebody and we say immediately, that guy has a big nose. We say, wow, her hair is long. Now, just as easily as we look at somebody, God sees the thoughts the desires, the thinking, the choices, just like that. He sees right to the person. We are all open and absolutely bare before him. Now, you know, Samuel never had to learn that before. In all the years that he's been serving God, this never came up. But today, he's learning something about God that God just can see right through a person. There's no secret from God. But now he's learning it over and over and over because he sees a guy and he goes, I don't know anymore. <laughs> I thought the other guy was the guy. Is this the guy? No. Okay. No, all right, 
okay, no, 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 no. And then there's this funny, awkward moment. Samuel's looking at Jesse, and Jesse's looking back, and none of these are the guys, but he's supposed to anoint one of Jesse's sons, and God isn't talking. And see, a little tension adds to the learning process. Got any more sons? Weird, isn't it? God knows everything that's going on, but he's not talking. So Jesse goes, uh, yeah, come to think of it. (laughs) It's just little what's-his-face. He's out keeping the sheep, isn't he? It never even came into his mind. Because he's the youngest, and he's the least, and he just doesn't, he doesn't even register on the radar at all. Samuel says, well, go get him, because we're not going to sit down and eat until we see him. And this is a funny moment. Now, everybody's thinking about David because they can't eat until he gets here. So it's like, where's that kid, kid? They're all thinking about him. And then he comes in. And I don't know what Samuel was expecting. Is he ugly? Does he have a hump? What does he look like? Well, it turns out he's a good-looking kid. That's interesting. But God says, this is the one. This is the one. Anoint him. So, there's seven brothers looking on. And his father. And Samuel says, I anoint you king of Israel. Thus says the Lord. Imagine what all the brothers are thinking. Him? What's his face? We never even figured. Him? Why him? Now we're going to see why in a few minutes. And it says here also that along with the outward anointing of oil, the Holy Spirit comes upon David mightily. And the Holy Spirit now directs enables and empowers David. Leads, guides, directs. A fabulous relationship with the Holy Spirit begins right here. And then God begins to train David to be a king. Look at verse 14. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servants said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player in the harp, and it shall be that he will play it with his hand, 
when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, look, I've seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who was skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them by his son David to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him. And he loved him greatly. And he became his armor bearer. Then Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he's found favor in my sight. And so it was, whenever the Spirit from God was upon Saul, that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. So this is kind of weird that the spirit of the Lord would depart from Saul. And he begins to be terrified by an evil spirit from the Lord. Now, in 2 Chronicles chapter 15, it says this, The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now, Saul is in rebellion against God. God says, look, you're done. And Saul insists on remaining king. So, you know, he can be king, go to battle, and administer justice, and do all the things that a king does, but he's an outlaw. He's fired. And God is not with him. So, God is not going to continue strengthening Saul and enabling him to rebel and disobey him. He's not obligated to do that. So, he's not working with Saul anymore. And he allows another kind of spirit to terrify him. And again, Saul is guilty and he knows it. He confessed the truth to Samuel. He knows he's wrong. And this could be an opportunity for him to repent. He doesn't have to live this way. He doesn't have to stay on the throne. But he is stubborn. And that isn't going to receive any comfort from God. Does everybody get this? All right. So Saul's servants see what's happening, and they say, well, what you need is a skilled musician to come in and play for you, and you know, it'll be restful. 
and you're going to have relief from this. And he says, okay. And then one of Saul's servants says, I know just the guy. And you look in verse 18, he's talking about David, and he says he is skillful in playing. I mean, the guy is a real musician. Some guys pick up a harp and they go, gung, 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 you know, and David can really play this thing. You listen to him and you go, wow. But then he's more than that. He's a mighty man of valor, a warrior. He's brave. He's got composure in the face of danger. So he's level-headed. And he's wise when he speaks. What he says has weight. And you listen to him and you go, huh, wow. Interesting perspective. Well thought out. And then you know, he's good looking. That helps. But that last one, the Lord is with him. Isn't that interesting? How do you know the Lord is with him? Well, because he's with the Lord. And it comes out of his life. And it's obvious that he's following the path of the Lord. His life shows it. It exhibits that kind of goodness that comes from God. And God blesses him and works it out in an obvious way. And he doesn't take the credit for it. He just says, God is good. I get that. So here's a guy that exhibits the presence of God in his life. And Asaph said in Psalm 73, the nearness of God is my good. That's the way it is for David. That's the way he lives his life. So David is a guy that seeks the Lord. And remember, he's a kid. But somehow, he started a relationship with the Lord. Now Saul sends for him, and it turns out that David is a great guy. Saul genuinely likes him because he's different. And the cool thing about David is, he's not jockeying to get position. You know, when you're king, everybody wants to be your best friend. Everybody likes getting the advantage of being the good guy. Hi, everybody. <laughs> we like you. But you know, when you're king, you get it. You can't help it. You are the most powerful person. And if you say the word, a person's life is going to be enhanced greatly. And that's what happens. You get all these guys around you who are interested in advancing themselves. 
And you can tell right off when there's a guy that's not interested in that, but he's genuinely interested in you. And he's just there to help. Yeah, you can tell the difference right off the bat. And that kind of a person is a really refreshing person to be around. There's no hidden agenda, no, hi, I'm your friend. I'm gonna count all my fingers when I get done shaking hands with you, man. Okay, but I got my eye on you, bud. No, it's restful. It's delightful. So Saul says, Jesse, I want him here with me. Now David is there serving him. That's what it means to stand before somebody. So whatever it is that Saul wants, David does. When he's in a tough mood, he plays, and Saul goes, that's great. Thank you so much. Anything you want. So Saul actually moves him into this position of armor bearer. And that means you handle his gear in war, but it also means kind of like being chief of staff, like a personal assistant, like the one who can arrange this and do that. Oh, I forgot I need two of these things. And yep, got it, get it, absolutely. And Saul knows he's going to have it. He can tell David anything, and David is going to get it done. And Saul goes, I love that guy. I love that guy. That's the kind of guy you want to have around you now. Don't you think it's interesting that David is anointed to be king? And God can place him right where he needs to be in order to learn about the job. So, class is in session, and God is teaching him. This is how a king acts. This is how a king acts, and I don't want you to act like this. Saul becomes an object lesson for how you run things and how you don't run things, how a court operates. Who are the movers and shakers? Who are the ambitious ones? Who are the genuinely servant-minded ones? David gets to see it all with no pressure. It's like he's in school and nobody knows it except him and God. Isn't that interesting? Now, Saul started right at the top from day one. As soon as he stood up in that crowd, everybody lost it and went, ah, he's a rock star from day one. He's so tall. He's gorgeous. And that's it. He's got to be king right now. Okay, going to do a little improvising here. But with David, he starts out serving somebody. He is basically a glorified gopher, kind of like a golf caddy. 
serving a golf pro. Anything that golf pro wants, that caddy gets for him. He wants soy sauce on his eggs? <laughs> Go get that soy sauce. Yes, sir. So, he doesn't have any ambition like, you know, I'm, uh, I don't tell everybody this, but I'm anointed king. <laughs> I'm going to take over. It's going to be soon. It's going to be great. He doesn't push for this like, you know, if I just push Saul a little bit here, a like, good old accident. Oops. Oh, no. He's not, he's not going... How am I going to get there? How am I going to get there? You know what? He's content to let God put him there. You know why? Being king is not the most important thing in his life. There's already something else that's more important to David, the most important, and that is God. And nothing takes that place. Because, see, he's already got this relationship with God. And it was way before any of this king stuff started. So, it's an interesting thing what God is doing here. So think about David for a second. We're kind of at the so what department. Here's a kid who's a nobody in his family. He doesn't even register on the radar. And yet, God has his eyes on him and has rejected all of his brothers. In other words, David alone in that family registers on God's radar. And God goes, yeah, that's the guy. So the reason is, is because God sees his heart. And everything that's in his heart is pleasing to God. He thinks like God. He wants what God wants. He feels like God. He loves what God loves. He hates what God hates. What God is seeking is a heart that is seeking him. And if you seek God, you will find God. He will let himself be found. He reveals himself. And see, a heart that is yielded to God is rare. It's valuable to God. Now what is interesting, that out of this heart relationship with God, it starts in the heart, and yet you see all the different ways in which David excels. I mean, unusual ability, striking. Okay, to be a skillful musician, that involves practice, 10,000 hours or something like that. That's what David is burning up his childhood with, that and sheep, which is doing what his dad wants. That's called obedience. 
But then this thing about he's wise when he speaks. See, everything you say comes out of your heart. And that means before everything else has happened, he's had this work begun in his heart. That somehow he got one-on-one with God. And especially it was through the word of God. That's how you know God. Because the alternative is you just make up God. God, well, to me, God is this, God is that. And everybody who makes up their own God also finds it really convenient to ignore the God that they've made up. Or even blaspheme him. Doesn't matter. See, that's what happens when you make up a God. You can ignore him. But David didn't ignore God because he read what Moses wrote. And he knows you cannot ignore God. And in fact, if you pay attention to God and seek him, he blesses everything. Now that's in Leviticus 26, and you can read it. When you're right with God, you can expect God to bless every area of your life. So the next thing that David did was bring God into every one of his ways. Music, fighting, speaking, See that? It was the natural thing to do. Now, Solomon wrote the Proverbs. David was his father. And this is what Solomon says his father taught him. It's in chapter 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Now, this is what David did. His dad said, this is how you live, son. And see, Solomon could look at David's life and say, yeah, I see that. So David Learned, you bring God into every area of your life. Now, there's a verse in Psalm 119 that goes, I have declared all my ways, and you answered me. Teach me your statutes. And I thought, you know what? I have never declared all my ways to God. So this morning, I'm going to see how many ways I've got. And it blew my mind how many ways I have. The things that I do, what I pursue, you try it. Try declaring to God all your ways. And you'll find you come up with things like occupation, relationships, abilities, hobbies. And I'm just writing down all my ways. And I go, wow, wow, wow. And then... How about God in every area? Wow. Because that's what God wants to do. I could write a few things that God can't be in. And I think, what a dope I am. I don't want anything in my life that God can't be in. 
Very interesting to figure out what are your ways. You gotta go home and do this. Now, here's another proverb. Chapter 22, verse 29. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. And remember, that word stand in this context means serve. Kings don't want idiots working for them. They don't have to stand for that. So they're looking for guys that excel in what they do. Now here's David excelling in all these ways, but the most important way that he excelled in, that he said, this one thing I'm gonna do, he excelled at seeking the Lord. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord, to meditate in his temple, that is where it begins. And then it affects every area of his life, all of his ways. He acknowledges God, and God blesses those ways. Now, you know, David latched onto this early. And he says, this is the way I want to go. Samuel is the same way. He was a kid. His mom raised him up and said, you know why you exist? <laughs> because God called you into existence. You have to know him. And so that's all Samuel could ever remember. And his mom taught him in a certain way so that he says, I see no reason to do anything else with my life. Everything else is stupid. This one thing I do. So, the interesting thing about this is it's not complicated. And we're not supposed to make following Jesus complicated. You ever run into people who pray exceedingly theologically? And they pray very complicated, long prayers. God, thank you for in, infrasublapsarianism. <laughs> you don't have to do that. Did you know that? I have had the best times of prayer just talking to God and saying, man, I hate everything. Thank you, but seriously. Just talking to him. I'll go out in the backyard and I'll pace, I'll walk all over the grass, take that you grass, and I'm talking to God. And funny enough, I feel better. It's like, wow. It's like it was real prayer or something. And I think, you know, it's so simple. 
And you don't have to pray flowery either. Just warning you. You don't even have to pray long. Short prayers are great. Help is one of my favorites. (laughs) But you know, you can read your Bible. It's phenomenal what happens when you just read. And then you take a scripture and you think about it for a long time. Give it a week. See what you learn. I mean, that's not hard. It's not complicated. Let's just say that. It can be difficult because you, you sense the opposition to this. You pick up your Bible and you hear a voice saying, don't do that, son. And it's a fight. It's always a fight. It's weird. I have to say, God, help me. Just help me. And I get the help I need. What happens if you do that? If you read, if you meditate, you pray, you learn God. And that, that is an education. Imagine learning somebody who is never depressed because he knows what he's doing and he has all the power to get there. And tragedies and blow-ups don't bug him because he knows what he's going to do. You start to take that on board. You start to learn that sense of, well, you know what? God's in control. And I mean, he's really in control, so I really don't need to flip out. It's amazing to learn that. Now, we've been learning on Friday nights in 2 Timothy. He says, consider what I say For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. You think, wow. Understanding in everything. That's worth seeking. So now, what does God see when he looks at your heart right now? Here we are in church, and every one of us is great and wonderful. (laughs) And we're going to do this afterwards, too. How you doing? I'm fine. But God sees us right here and right now. What does he see? He sees all the fears and the junk and what's for lunch. And that guy's nose is too big. He sees every idle thought that we have. He knows where we're at. He knows what kind of a tough, stupid week we've had. I had a really stupid week. And you see what? we do with that is we come to Jesus. It's so easy to put distance between us and Jesus. And the whole thing about the gospel is this obedience. This is the most interesting thing is when you come to Jesus, you have to obey him because he says, turn around. And he says, submit yourself and believe that I died for you and that I rose again from the dead. And you say, yes, Lord, you're already obeying. What happens when you sin? 
You start obeying. You confess your sin. You turn around. You ask him to cleanse you. Boom, you're back in obedience. It's all about obedience. And it's all about a very simple learning Jesus, obeying him, walking with him. A child can do it. You can do it. Does everybody get that? Okay, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you understand where we're at. You see our hearts this morning. You know if we're close and you know if we're far off. And I thank you that by the blood of Jesus and him dying for us, it draws us close to you. And that's where we want to be. The nearness of God is my good. So this morning, Lord, if we need to confess and ask for cleansing, then hear every prayer and restore every person and wash and cleanse. And then, Lord, we want to learn from you. We want to learn you. Show us an uncomplicated way to do it. Help us to get rid of anything that is complicated and too busy and not helpful. He said we have to be made like little children. And so you got to make it simple for us. But I pray also that you would pour out your love in our hearts. Make us men and women after your own heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.